Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is December the 14th, 2023. Um, in this show, we've often seen American universities as somehow both symbolic and quite literally at the heart of America, whatever it is, and for all its weaknesses, for all its contradictions. And it seems as if over the last few weeks, American universities are falling apart. There's been a huge controversy over a reckoning over anti-Semitism, which of course has been featured in a series of congressional hearings and resignations and calls for firing. Um, some people believe that as the fury, and this is a New York Times piece, as the fury over campus anti-Semitism has erupted, uh, conservatives are seizing the moment. It's certainly the heart of a, uh, um, a cultural debate, a cultural war that's been going on now, or at least brewing for several years. Yasha Monk, who is at the heart of this, a liberal kind of conservative, has a piece in the Atlantic on this. Yasha's been on the show many times and it's triggered all sorts of debates about what universities should and shouldn't allow. Uh, Rutgers today joined a, a growing list of universities uh, uh, and I'm quoting Haaretz, an uh, Israeli newspaper, clamping down on pro-Palestinian groups. Meanwhile, the privatization of universities, it's part of, I guess, a neoliberal world, has also come to the fore. Uh, Wealthy donors, billionaire donors like Bill Ackman, who uh, is an ex-Harvard uh, man, uh, are very much at the forefront of the public debates about what universities should and shouldn't allow. Uh, my guest today on the show, Shai Davidai, is a professor, an assistant professor at Columbia Business School and somebody who has become embroiled in these culture wars. He's joining us from his home in New York City. Shai, are all these controversies, before we get to the, the whole issue of Israel and anti-Semitism and, 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 and Palestinian activism, do you believe that these controversies somehow reflect something deeper, some something more troubling mm -hmm. about the American enterprise about what America should and shouldn't be in the 2020s? Well, uh, well, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure, you know, you, you, you kind of frame this as a cultural war. Um, I don't see it as a cultural war, right? I see this as um, a fight for justice, right? Uh, in, in, in the way that when we call for to stop hatred to stop calls for genocide and violence it's 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 not a cultural war right now one could say that maybe some factions in on campus and in society would like to have a culture where calling for the genocide of the jews is acceptable uh i don't see this as a cultural war i see this as a, as a war for what's just and right um in terms of um does this reflect, um, what does this reflect about the United States? Um, I think a lot, of, a lot of what we're seeing on campuses is, is both the cause and the consequence of things that are happening in society, 
right? So we have to remember these so-called elite universities, and I'm uh, where I was also educated and where I work and teach. Um, you know, they uh, disproportionately uh, send people to Congress, right? So, so these students end up running universities. They disproportionately uh, send people to uh, to get hired by the uh, the media. New York Times, Washington Post, MSNBC, Fox News. So the people that run the media are being educated in this in these colleges. Um, they disproportionately uh, send, basically, control a lot of how society is run. And this is why it's so critical that we that when we fight for the soul of of the United States, we're you know the fight is happening on campuses. I want to show you're also your your work is in behavioral economics, a particularly academic discipline. I think uh, you write about something called uh, zero. I'm, I'm not entirely sure what it means. Right. Zero sum behavioral psychology. Mm -hmm. It seems as if there are two worlds of the university in parallel. And perhaps one of the reasons why there's so much passion and disagreement and potentially even violence at the moment and inability to make sense of all this is because on the one hand the universities have become places for this highly academic analysis of human behavior and on the other hand of course they're made up of people who are very passionate and perhaps not always as rational as they should be how does your academic work on uh, zero-sum behavioral psychology. How how would it try to explain what's happening on these campuses? Well, I mean, how, I think how might it even explain your own behavior. That I think that's a great question, and I think it's it's a question that we should be paying more attention to, right? So, the idea of it, something that I've been studying for years now, is this idea of zero-sum beliefs, right? The idea that when there's an issue, there's always two sides that are mutually exclusive, that if one side wins, the other side loses and vice versa, right? What the rhetoric we're seeing right now on campuses is exactly this kind of rhetoric of zero-sum beliefs. You're either pro-Israel or pro-Palestine. You're either supporting uh, Israel's right to exist or you're supporting a free Palestinian state. Now, that is a complete that that is a complete misrepresentation of most people in the world, including most Jewish people, including most Israeli Jewish people, right? Because and I know because I'm on neither camp. Uh, I see myself, and I've said it many many times. I am pro-Israel because I support Israel's right to exist, but I'm also pro-Palestine, right? That I think that the Palestinian people have the right to self-determination. And the two-state solution is this whole idea that these two things can coexist. The problem is that right now on university campuses and in U.S. culture in large, you see that people are being, quote-unquote, forced to pick sides. Now, you know, I try to... Why, why, sorry to jump yeah. in here, Shai. Why are they being forced? No one's ever forced me to choose sides. In fact, uh, you know, sometimes in the morning, uh, I'll go to a, a pro-Palestinian demonstration. In the afternoon, I'll go to a, a, a demonstration against anti-Semitism. Why can't we all do that? Right. Well, first of all, we, we have to make clear those are two separate issues, right? So you can support Palestine, and you probably should support Palestine without 
cond without condoning Hamas and terrorism. And at the same time, you can support anti-Semitism. Those are not two sides. Those are two different coins, right? You can fight against anti-Semitism. This is what I've been doing on campus. And that has nothing to do on your stance on Palestinian-Israeli geopolitics, right? So I think that's an important thing to kind of keep in mind and remember. So you're saying you, you can be in favor of the Palestinians as long as you're not sympathetic to Hamas? Well, I mean, I, I, I think that, you know, if, if, we, uh, if we take Hamas by their own words, uh, when they do not recognize Israel's right to exist, if you, if, if, you, if you take that as part and parcel of your support of Palestinian people, then de facto what you're saying is that you support the annihilation of the state of Israel, right? Um, but there is a third way, right? You can be supportive of Palestinians, and the Palestinian people and the Palestinian cause, and yet be strongly against this belief that Israel shouldn't exist. And you know, you don't have, need to take my my word for it. I'm just a guy, just a professor, right? You have people like Mansour Abbas, right, who's a democratically elected leader of the largest Israeli-Palestinian party in uh, in Israel's uh, Knesset, the parliament. And he recognizes Israel's right to exist. He denounces Hamas, but he also fights for a freedom of the Palestinian state, right? There are many, many Jewish, non-Jewish Muslims and Christians, Hindu, Buddhist, from whatever part of, of society that believe in Palestinians' right to exist, but also reject this dogma that, that Palestine's right to exist should come at the expense of Israel's right to exist. And that is the problem when people conflate the two and, and are unwilling to take the other point. We are speaking with Shai Davidai, a professor, assistant professor uh, at uh, Columbia Business School. Man has been in the news in terms of his criticism of his own university and some of the behavior of students at Columbia. Uh, uh, we sh I, should, I should correct you. I'm, I'm not critical of the students. I'm critical of the organizations, right? There's, it's, I think it's an important big distinction. I think students should be able to do what they want based on Columbia's rules, but we have two specific organizations at Columbia that are justifying, excusing, and celebrating Hamas. So it's the organizations that are problematic. We've done a lot of shows also shy on words and why they're so meaningful, so powerful. You know, there's the old phrase, sticks and stones can break my bones, words will never hurt me. Why should we care about what groups say? You, uh, you believe that, um, and, and, you, and you X this, uh, Columbia must, and I'm, I'm quoting you, permanently ban the organizations that broke their suspension terms by leading an unauthorized protest chanting, long live the Intifada. What's so dangerous about words? So, so, so first of all, did, I want to answer the question about words, but the thing that you quoted me on right now is about actions. These are organizations that broke their suspension rules, right? They were suspended for campus for continuously breaking the rules of the university, and they are not respecting the suspension uh, policies, right? And they ran another unauthorized, um, another unauthorized protest. So when we talk about permanent banning, it's because their actions, not just their words, their actions violate schools policy in a consistent manner. 
And if the school doesn't enforce its own rules, then the rules mean nothing. So the problem here is, you know, first and foremost with actions. But, but coming I think back you asked, to, to words, because yeah. that, that seems to be something that concerns you. What I, is it about using words that uh, seem to disturb one side or the other in the language they use? I, I have to admit, personally, I, I'm really not too bothered with what other people say. I mean, they no, have every right to say it, and I generally try to ignore what most people say. No, I, I completely understand, right? It, uh, when individuals use words, that's one thing. When organized groups and mobs of people use words, that's a different thing. And I think that's an important distinction to make. Words have a lot of power in motivating action and justifying it once it happens, right? Um, when people shout, long live the Intifada, then it's important to understand what they, you know, what does Intifada mean? Now, in the Israeli-Palestinian context, in the last 75 years, there have been two intifadas in, in Israel and, and Palestine. One from 1989 to 1993, and the other from 2000 to 2004. Both intifadas were extremely violent. They involved uh, multiple uh, suicide bombing. In my count, uh, there was, in the second intifada, 48 suicide bombings in buses in a 32-month period, meaning every three weeks, someone walks into a, uh, a bus, a terrorist walks into a bus and explodes themselves uh, with uh, somewhere between 15 and 25 dead and, and many, many casualties. That is what intifada means in the Israeli-Palestinian context. When students shout, long live the intifada, that's what they are, uh, that's what they're shouting. Now they could say, we didn't mean that, but the people that hear it, mainly the people on the Jewish and Israeli side and the people that are the terrorists that are getting, you know, this, uh, the symbolic support, they- But words mean, uh, and I take your point, but words mean different things as you suggested, different people. For some, the Intifada means uh, suicide bombs and catastrophic tragedies of the loss of innocent lives. For others, the Intifada simply means revolution and, and justice. Uh, I mean, if you extend this argument, students wouldn't be allowed to say, long live the revolution, long live unrest, not, long live uprisings. Simple. You're suggesting that any kind of language should be somehow banned? I completely, you, that completely not what I'm suggesting, and that's completely wrong, right? You, you specifically need to look at the context within, within which things are being said. We're not talking about a resistance in general. We're talking about specifically about intifada in the Israeli-Palestinian context. Words have meanings. If we, if we allow each person to define the meanings of words to themselves, then what are we even talking about, right? I saw someone uh, posting in jest on social media, Heil Hitler can mean, I just wish Hitler good health. Because, you know, Heil Hitler literally means go Hitler or salute Hitler. It does not mean anything else. But you and I know when Germans uh, were shouting Germany for Germans, they, it did, the phrase did not say anything about Jews, about non-Aryans, about, uh, about the LGBTQ community that was uh, persecuted in Germany, about the Romas that were persecuted. They were saying Germany for Germans. But the words have meaning. 
They are used to motivate the people to act in a certain way. And if we, if we, and I'm not saying we should police words, but we also need to set a clear line when the words go from freedom of speech to hateful, dangerous, and genocidal supporting speech. Those are different things. You can't make the argument that just because you know I'm talking about the extreme, then everything should be. Uh, should yeah, be I, I have to admit I'm not convinced. Let's go back to the Russian Revolution, for example, during the Civil War of 1918 to 20. There were many people in the West who, I don't know how many demonstrations there were, but the a hundred years ago, the equivalent would be people saying, "Long live the Russian Revolution!" And people like you might be saying, "Well, there were massacres of." the whites or massacres of the Russian royal family. It, it seems, uh, it, it, to me at least, I mean, maybe maybe for you it's, it's more convincing. But uh, so are you saying then that students should be allowed to, rather than saying long live the Intifada, which you're suggesting was a bloody event? Uh, no, I'm not yeah. suggesting, no, sorry. I'm not suggesting, these are the facts. And I'm not saying if it was, you know, about the context, why the Intifada work uh, happened, why, what happened, what Israeli's uh, government did. I'm not, but those, but that's the fact. I'm not suggesting it was violent. The Intifada was violent. But if... Both of them. But uh, so are, are you saying then that students should be allowed to, in these demonstrations, to say long-lived Palestine and an uprising against Israeli occupation, would that be okay? I believe so, yes. So I you so. shouldn't be able I, to mention the Intifada? It's not about mentioning the Intifada. We're saying or long glorifying live the, Intifada. the Intifada. It's not about glorifying the Intifada. It's not just that. It's long live the Intifada, suggesting that we need more. And by saying globalize from New York City, from Gaza, from New York City to Gaza, globalize the Intifada. They are saying we should have more of that in the US as well. That's what I'm saying. So it's it you have to be clear. And uh, and I'm sorry, but your analogy to the Russian Revolution is different, because because in the Intifada, the targeting was of Israeli Jewish Israeli civilians. It's you go on a bus, trying to maximize civilian deaths. Those are the that that's what happened. Those are the intifadas. That so would it be okay through. then? Uh, you know, I take your point. Would it be okay going back to the 1960s for American students to be chanting Ho Chi Minh's name because he was involved in a guerrilla war against American troops rather than American civilians? So you're suggesting again, that it's okay in war, but just not against civilians. No, again, it's it's not about who is involved or not involved. The act of intifada. The act, the call for intifada, which, by the way, Hamas is also calling for, right? Remember, like whose phrases these student organizations are are amplifying. This is not coming from some students born and raised in the Midwest. These are this is content coming from Hamas terrorists from yeah, ISIS. That, that that may be. Some people would say that's, if not coincidental, just because Hamas said doesn't mean nobody else can say. It. Hamas says it's like it's like yeah. Well, it's uh, you know it, we can be, we can be doing a lot of things here, but if we're being rational, if 2012 the head of Hamas, Mashal, says from the river to the sea, Palestine will be ours, and then 10 years later, students 
from all over the United States all of a sudden say that, that's not coincidental, right? It's not coincidental. And, and to, to suggest it's coincidental is, is doing a disservice to those own students. They are not ashamed of saying, yes, we are using the exact rhetoric of Hamas. So, so we, we have to be very clear here. And, and, and I have to, again, say students should be able to protest in authorized protests, just like any other group you know, gets authorization. And they should be able to say whatever they want, so long as it stops, clearly stops in calls for violence. And it does not matter who the students are or who the victims are. Calls for violence have no place on, on university campuses. And if you want to argue otherwise, you need to convince me why student organizations should have the freedom to, to have explicit calls for violence against uh, an ethnic group in the university. Interesting conversation with Shai David Ivey, an assistant professor at Columbia Business School, a behavioral economist. Uh, psychologist. A behavioral what? Psychologist. Psychologist. I was as a psychologist. Yes. Is there a difference between being a behavioral psychologist and a behavioral economist? Uh, you know, we have trainings. I have a training in psychology. You know, not yeah. in economics. You're squeezing yeah. all the life out of uh, humans on that front, and and on the other front, you're very passionate about what students should and shouldn't say in their demonstrations. No, nope. no. I I told you again. It's not about what students should or shouldn't say. It's about student organizations. Well, it's what about... student organizations can and can't say in terms of the law. Um, I want to remind everyone that this very high quality content is brought to us by Liberties, a quarterly journal of culture and politics. Excellent publication. I think probably Leon uh, Weaseltier, who's the editor, would be pretty sympathetic to what Shai is saying. Uh, I'm going to run a short ad for Liberties, and then we'll be back with Shai to talk more about Colombia, anti-Semitism, Israel, Gaza, Hamas, and all the rest of it. So don't go away, anyone. Beyond the news, the noise, there is nuance, insight. Liberties, it's not just a journal of ideas. It's a meteor of intelligent substance. It's the place to be for engaged citizens. Politics, opinion, substance. Liberties is a triumph for freedom of thought. A quarterly of urgency, of cultural exploration, of intellectual delight, of immaculate prose. It's invaluable. Subscribe now or find Liberties at your favorite bookseller. And you can subscribe to Liberties at libertiesjournal.com. It's an excellent publication. We are talking with Shai Davidai, uh, an assistant professor at Columbia Business School. Shai, you've been quite outspoken in terms of what's happening on the Columbia um, campus. You wrote in a CNN piece, and this is actually where I first came across your work, um, mm -hmm. an opinion piece. I'm a Jewish Columbia professor. I wouldn't allow my children to go here now what did you mean by that what's actually happening on the campus so there's a lot of hatred on the campus there's a lot of uh unrest uh the university leaders uh have lost complete control over uh what's happening on campus and by that i mean uh they cannot and will not enforce their own rules uh, you have repeated violations of uh, the rules by specific student organizations that are known to the university uh, that uh, organize pro-Hamas protests, where in which they chant uh, calls that are broadly understood as for the genocide of Jews and for violence against Jews. 
uh, and Israelis, and the university will do. Yeah, hold on, hold on, wait, wait. Gen what does genocide against Jews? What, what, who's who's calling for genocide against Jews? So I believe you saw the congressional hearing uh, last week. Yeah. Uh, yes. Who didn't shine? For better or worse. Well, I don't know. Uh, I mean, maybe many people did. One of the one of the most disgraceful things in the history of academia, not just U.S., all over the world, um, and. Uh, it is broadly understood that when people shout from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, which I remind your uh, listeners is a phrase used by the head of Hamas since 2012. And Hamas's charter explicitly says that Palestine will be free from Jews. Then yes, that is a call for the genocide of Jews. Now, students that are organizations that are chanting that may say that's not what we mean. But hey, now that you know what it means, then you have a responsibility to not say that. And that is what's happening on campus. You have uh, under Jewish undergraduates that go to classes and back in the buddy system. These are 20 year olds that have to walk in twos and threes because they do not want to be verbally or physically assaulted. We have anti-Semitic graffitis and stickers all over campus. We have professors that are shaming students uh, into uh, to the fact that they are uh, Jewish or Israeli. We, we just have a completely unsafe environment in the university. And this is by the same universities that on their uh, flag have engraved the safe spaces mantra. And do you, uh, do you, and we've had a number of arguments about this with people like Yasha Monk and, and, and many others. Do you believe that what's happening, at least in your mind, I mean, it's a controversial position, is it connected with woke politics? Is this the logical conclusion to wokeism at the university level, or, or is it more complicated than that? No, it's the complete opposite of wokeism. Being woke is is opening up your eyes to everyone's struggle, not just your own, right? I am woke because I my eyes are open to everyone's struggle, including the Palestinians. That is being woke. When you shut your eyes to the pain and suffering of Jews and Israelis just because they're Jews and Israelis, then you are not woke. You are still asleep. Your eyes are willingly shut. And so I think... It's the woke crowd that has completely lost its uh, own logic and has completely abandoned its own ideals. And I'm sorry, but they are no longer woke. They can use that term, but it's a vacuous term. So why has it happened then? What's the narrative here? Is it simply that anti-Semitism is a, is a reality and it's been reactivated by this war? Or is there something more structural within the university? I think there's a lot of reasons. I think historians are going to have a, a field day in, in explaining this dark, dark chapter in Colombia's uh, history. I think one, there's anti-Semitism that's been latent. I did not want to believe it. I've been in the U.S. academia for 13 years and I my eyes were shut to this. I did not want to believe. So yes, there's anti-Semitism. But, you know, my wife and I were talking yesterday. We cannot understand how America's young and presumably smart people 
have fallen in love with Hamas terrorists. They've fallen in love with people that murder babies, that rape young women, that kidnap the elderly. They don't only just excuse their behaviors or justify their behavior, they celebrate their behavior. They have fallen in love with the same people that do not share any of their values. So I can't understand that. But that is something that's growing underground here, and that is what's happening. Now, there's been a systematic, uh, you know, anti-Israel and anti-Jewish um, rhetoric on campus for years now, and we're just now seeing the results of that. I and wonder, Shai, listening to you, I mean, my guess is that you at least think of yourself as a liberal, someone on the progressive side of politics, but listening to you... <laughs> sort of brings to mind a lot of the conservative language of the 60s against student demonstrators on the Vietnam War. And as it happens, your, your, your arguments have been picked up not by progressives, but by conservatives. So John Podoretz described yeah, you as a hero. Yeah. Um, your, your stuff is, there's a great deal of outrage on uh, on uh, Fox News and the Daily Mail, the classic the, sources of right-wing media. Also, the Guardian, New York Times, Haaretz. Right, but are, are you concerned with the way in which the conservative media is picking up these kind? And I don't want to personalize it too much. These kinds of stories to to bash progressives, the left, people who are concerned for better or worse about human suffering? Look, so first of all, you know, people are concerned for some humans suffering, not everyone's, not every, when you, uh, when you don't only justify, but some people deny October 7th, then you cannot say that you're concerned with human sufferings. When you don't believe rape victims just because there are women that are Israelis or Jewish, then you're not concerned with, with human suffering. Being liberal, being a true liberal, is treating everyone equally and believing all the victims, not just the non-Jewish victims. So let's let's put that first. The second thing I want to make clear: I am a liberal. You don't know me, and I can I'm happy to talk to you about this. I am highly critical of Israel's government. In August, I was part of the, the pro-democracy protests. I faced police brutality, was was personally punched by a police officer in our fight for a liberal democracy in Israel, right? I am not just uh, like these uh, kids that are uh, TikTok activists. I put my, my money where my mouth is. So that's an important thing to remember. I cannot control what my message uh, is, is being used and distorted by a lot of people on the conservative media. But I can tell you this, you know, I am worried that they will throw the, the baby out with the bathwater. We have a big problem here. Who's going to throw the bit? Who? Who? The conservative? Uh, the conservative movement. Uh, I think that uh, they, uh, a lot of people on the on the right, are correct, but there's something rotten in academia. But they're 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 wrong to think that everything is rotten. A lot of people on the left are correct to think that uh, a lot of that academia is still a beacon of hope, but they are completely wrong to believe that that everything is okay in academia. Now, I don't mind labels. You can call me a liberal. You can call me a conservative. I've been called worse in the past two months. I've been sent uh, images uh, from Auschwitz telling me that I should also be dead because I'm Jewish. 
I don't mind labels. All I'm saying is we need to be looking at the substance. And the substance here is that there is one group where it's okay to specifically target it in physical and in verbal violence. And those are Jews and Israelis, Israel, Jewish Israelis. And again, you can be critical of Israel's policies. You should probably be critical of Israel's policies because Israel does a lot of problematic things, just like any other country. But when you're critical of Israel's uh, policies and then go the step further and say all Israelis are X, that's when you become bigoted. And it doesn't matter if you're a bigot from the extreme right or a bigot from the extreme left. A bigot is a bigot is a bigot. Because when I criticize Putin, it, it has nothing to do with the Russian people. When I criticize the supreme uh, leader of Iran, it has nothing to do with the Iranian people. When I criticize the supreme leader of North Korea, it has nothing to do with the North Korean people. So why is it that when people start criticizing Israel, all of a sudden it's every Israeli is a murderer, is a rapist, is a settler colonial, or whatever other BS people are spewing. But that is where anti-Semitism comes in. But, but not everyone who does that is genocidal, anti-Semitic, right? You can, and, and this is another endless conversation, but are, are you suggesting one can be, like you, critical of the state of Israel without being anti-Semitic? I'm saying not only that can, but should be. But when you cross the line from, from saying statements about all Israelis or all Jews burning the Israeli flag, that's the line that you cross. In the same way that you should be critical of the U.S. government. But, has, but it, it makes complete no sense to say all Americans are X or saying that uh, the uh, U.S. military is a terror organization. It's not a terror organization, just like the IDF is not a terror organization, just like the British Army is not a terror organization. And and when people make these claims, that's where anti-Semitism comes I, in. I, I take the point, but, but for you then, Hamas is purely a terrorist organization, because of course it not, doesn't. Not, not for me, sorry, I, I apologize. You, you have to make clear the fact for the US State Department and for the EU, like the two, those two big organizations recognize Hamas as an international recognized terror organization, just like Hezbollah. They recognize, just like Boko Haram, just like Al Qaeda, ISIS. I can keep going. This is not me uh, setting a line of who is or isn't a terrorist. This is the U.S. Secretary, uh, the, the State Department. Now, if you have a problem with that then you should go and ask them why they call them a terror organization. And they'll give you all the facts of why they're called a terror organization. Don't put this on me. Speaking of X, uh, what do you make of these very wealthy people like Bill Ackman playing an increasingly, it would seem certainly vociferous and, and powerful role in, 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 in the politics of, uh, of universities. Are you troubled as a professor by the fact that these universities are certainly vulnerable to being able to be pushed around by people like Ackman. <laughs> I, I, you know, uh, yes, I'm, I'm troubled by the fact that, you know, that the extreme economic inequality in the United States creates a situation where the only way for these universities uh, to stay afloat is through uh, private donations, right? I'm, pr I'm troubled by the, the fact that 
all with what that results in. But the only thing universities care about is money and PR. They do not care about the students. They care about student tuition. They do, do not care about alums. They care about alum donations. So I'm troubled by that fact. Uh, but, you know, I see, you know, a donor, they don't have to give money. It's, you know, we're treating them as it's like it's very, they have to give money. And how dare them, uh, you know, insist that their money goes to do something good. They don't have to give money. I would rather, if I had these sums, I would want to give it where I can make the most good in the world. In hospitals, in museums that educate people, and yes, in schools that do good. But when your money, and maybe even just a, a, a cent, a penny on the dollar, but your money goes to fund these organizations that call for the annihilation of Jews from Israel, then you have to ask yourself, you know, how complicit are you in your donations? And so, you know, would I rather have a society where money doesn't uh, rule these uh, private institutions and public institutions? Of course. But don't forget, most universities in the United States are funded by taxpayers' money. And every American taxpayer, when they are seeing these vile genocidal calls on campus, they should know this is their tax money that is paying for that. It's their tax money that's paying for the professors that are calling uh, all Israelis murderers, that are um, that are telling students like the professor in, in at Stanford to stand in the back because they're Jewish, by professors like Joseph Mossad, who uh, called the October 7th attack awesome uh, by the professor at Cornell that was exhilarated by the rape of women and children. Of course, he wouldn't say that. He called it resistance. But we know exactly what that meant. We saw the events. It's taxpayers' money. So everyone who's seen this and thinks like, oh, this is not my problem, it is your problem because it is your money that's funding this. F finally, Shai, um, let's say Bill Ackman heard this, thought, wow, this guy's cool. I'm going to give him a couple of billion to, to, to fix this problem. What would you begin to do to get us beyond not reforming the American university? That's, I don't think you could even do that with a couple of trillion dollars. But uh, what would you begin to do in terms of getting beyond the, the, the zero-sum morality that seems to define what's happening now uh, in, in Israel-Gaza? What is to be done here? Everybody knows the problems going round and round, and we've been having these arguments now for 40 years on this stuff. I mean, some of this stuff's new, but most of it is just on repeat. What would you begin to do? Yeah, I, so I think the problem is not on repeat. You know, I've been in academia in the US for 13 years. I have never faced such hatred and, and such rhetoric. But here's what I would do, and it's a, it's a very simple three-step solution that every university in the United States should do. Number one, condemn Hamas for October 7th. It's not too late. It's never too late to do the right thing. Hamas is a terror organization that targeted civilians. These are not casualties. They targeted babies. They targeted their pets. They targeted women that they raped. They targeted elderly that they kidnapped and are still holding 150 civilians in Gaza. That's number one. That's easy. Not ifs and buts. Just completely condemn Hamas. Number two, remove from campus any organization that, that celebrates excuses, justifies Hamas vile actions and calls for more violence by calling things like intifada from the river to the sea and so forth. But then number three, this is important. This is where we become constructive. Put the money that you have 
into creating a third way, an alternative. Every university should hold a three or four day conference where they bring in Israelis, Jews, Palestinians, uh, people from the Middle East, Americans to come and talk about a solution with the goal of creating an organization, a student and faculty organization that will fight for a free Palestinian state and will acknowledge Israel's right to exist as a homeland for the Jewish people. Those, and I am, you know, and I have told Columbia University that I would love to be part of that. I will be the first person to go on stage and say, as a Jew, as an Israeli, I am here to fight for the freedom of the Palestinian people. And then someone else will come up, maybe a Palestinian uh, professor or student, and say, and as a Palestinian, I am here to find a solution while also acknowledging Israel's right to exist. I'll tell you this. I posted the exact same message on uh, Twitter, uh, formerly Twitter, on X, uh, two weeks ago. I know it's been seen by a lot of people. More than 200,000 has seen that message. Yeah, I was... I have, uh... I have yet to receive even one person that is brave enough to come and say, I will fight for, with you for a free Palestinian state while also acknowledging Israel's right to exist. So well, that doesn't sound things. very encouraging. Then you've called for it, and yet no one... Why? People are scared? People are afraid because right now, because it's been painted as a zero-sum situation, they are, un, they are unwilling to take the plunge into the middle way. And by the way, I am, there are a lot of people, Jews and Israelis, that might not agree with me and might even dis disagree passionately with me about the idea of a two-state solution. And I know, because I've been fighting for a two-state solution for longer than any of these seniors and, and juniors have been born. Remember, you know, I, I'm 40 years old. Ever since I was in high school, when I came to the age of reason, you know, for 26, 27 years, I've been advocating for a free Palestinian state. And to hear these students come and say, no, you do not have a right to exist, that is heartbreaking. But I still have hope that we will find a few brave people in every university to come and build something with us because this doesn't have to be constructive. So condemn Hamas, remove organizations that uh, support any terror organization from campus and build an alternative for these students who I believe most of these students want to do good. They see the suffering in Gaza and it is immense suffering and they want that suffering to stop, right? And they need to, to, instead of being hijacked by these extremist radicals in the SJP and JVP and within our lifetimes and all these other organizations, they have been hijacked by them. Instead of that, come join me in calling for a free Palestinian state, but a two-state solution that exists, that recognizes Israel's right to exist.